Okay, so many of you here this morning have chosen to come and be corrected. And uh, you're here for, I think I got the hardest topic of the, uh, the day, uh, the ministry of giving and receiving correction. And uh, it is a joy, it's been a joy for me to put this together. Open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 18. This morning as you're turning there, we're gonna, I've given you an outline, a handout, I've got PowerPoint, it's kind of the way I do, I love, love the visual, the audio, the hand uh, application of learning and that kind of thing. So there's plenty of opportunity for you to get involved in the message this morning. We're going to be looking at two case studies of uh, receiving correction and giving correction. And uh, this is a mighty, mightily important uh, ministry in our lives, in the ministry of the church particularly. And uh, the reason for such is this main idea. Look on your outline. You can follow along with me a little bit here on this outline. Uh, the main idea this morning is this, and here's kind of the theological assumption as you've come into this uh, classroom this morning. Every believer is in process, aren't we, of being conformed into the image of Jesus. And we all know that sin resides within us. And because of that, we are in need. All of us are in need of correction. And because of that, we must guard our hearts from pride that will hinder our spiritual growth those who correct, and as we've heard this morning, we've heard the glorious teaching of the Scripture, the Scripture alone is the thing that God wants to use in our lives to bring about correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You know, when you think about the, the, the Bible, there are many places in the Scripture where uh, men and women both were corrected Maybe let's just highlight a few of these that we're going to read the text together. But in the Garden of Eden, you remember the very first man that was ever made, God came into the garden and corrected him and reproved him. After Cain killed Abel, the Lord God confronted Cain and made him accountable for, for killing his brother. In the New Testament, we see illustration after illustration of of men being corrected. John the Baptist, if you remember, corrected Herod, saying it's not lawful for you to have, have your brother's wife. That's Mark chapter 6, verse 18. Jesus rebuked Peter. He rebuked Peter. You remember when Peter tried to get Jesus not to go to the cross, and, and the Lord Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. You remember that? And Jesus confronted Peter very very strongly, telling him that the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Luke chapter 19 verse 10 after Jesus's resurrection you may remember two disciples on their road to to Emmaus were down and out and they were discouraged and they had forgotten that the Messiah the scripture had taught that the Messiah must suffer these things and you remember Jesus came and called them oh foolish ones have you not remembered what the scripture has said are you of so slow heart to believe all that the prophets have written, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then maybe one that you're real familiar with, the Apostle Paul looking Peter in the face, face to face, and calling him out because he shrank back from eating with the Gentiles in Galatians chapter 3. He said, I confronted Peter to his face and called him out on the gospel of what the gospel of Jesus Christ really was. So the Bible is full of opportunities for us to look at uh, those who correct and those who need to be corrected. And all of us here this morning, hopefully, and one of the themes of this lesson this morning is that all of us will have a heart that is humble enough to receive correction.
correction from others. A humble heart that's willing and ready to receive. All right, so your Bibles are turned to Exodus chapter 18. I, I, I'm th- thankful, and I've been praying for you men, and I'm praying for myself as well as we go through this lesson today. Um, I had an opening illustration I wanted to share with you. I know of a particular husband, and I'm going to try to focus on how many of your husbands here this morning? Raise your hand if you're a husband. Okay, lots of husbands. How many of you want to be a, a, a husband one day? If you're, yeah, okay, you got a few in there. Um, we, the Lord desires for us to be humble leaders, servant leaders. And this is going to be a great lesson for us to learn and to apply in our own hearts, having hearts to be able to receive correction for us so that we can grow to be servant leaders to our wives, to our families. All right. So this is a very practical hands-on lesson this morning as we're going to look at Moses and Jethro in the first uh, case study. And then we're going to go to David and Nathan, and we're going to look at a case study with them. Both of them have a corrector and one who is being corrected, all right? And so some great lessons for us. And on your outline, I'll hopefully share that. But here's my opening illustration, kind of when we, we think about this. I know of a particular husband. Uh, he never dreamed that this would happen. After 25 years in, in uh, marriage to his wife, she left him. And what a tragedy. I'm not giving uh, a loophole for her. She should have stuck in there. But one of the main things that she said about her husband, that he was so arrogant and so prideful that he wouldn't listen to anyone. He would not receive correction from her or from anyone else, for that matter, for pastors, for anyone. I know this couple very well. I know this man. And I hope this morning as we start uh, that you will ask the Lord to give you a a heart that's humble to receive instruction. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Then we'll stand and read the text together. Father, we come this morning, we're thankful for this topic, the ministry of correction, both receiving it and giving it. Father, there's much to learn, so many Proverbs that will give us wonderful insight into this great topic. Father, I pray this morning as we study your word, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts Father, these men, they long to be humble, to be able to receive the word into their hearts and to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord, not just in knowledge, but in wisdom, as we saw this morning in the book of Proverbs, that the word of God would give us wisdom to live godly, humble lives. So, Father, bless, bless your word, produce much fruit in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's stand together. Exodus chapter 18, let's read this text together. And um, we're going to begin in verse 13, read down to the end of the chapter. We won't stand for the reading of the text in 2 Samuel, but here's the first case study. So we're going to try to do this in 30 minutes, then we'll look at another one in 30 minutes. All right, two passages. Exodus chapter 18, maybe you're familiar with this. This is the study of Jethro and Moses. Moses has just come out of the Red Sea, he's left Red Sea, left Egypt, brought the children of Israel into the Promised Land. They're not quite yet to the Promised Land. They're going to be camping out at Mount Sinai. And uh, if you remember, uh, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, he gave his wife Zipporah to him, and they have a couple of kids. That's all in the previous paragraphs. We're going to pick up in verse 13, so let's read verse 13 together all the way to the end of the chapter. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. 
when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you were doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people came to me to inquire of God, when they have a dispute, they come to me and decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statues of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear out yourselves, for the, the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statues and the laws and make them known the way in which they must walk and what they must do. I love that. That's all about Scripture right there. Bring them to know God. Moreover, verse 21, look for able men from among from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands and of hundreds and of fifties and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide for themselves, decide themselves, so it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and will be at, you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So, Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Verse 25, Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, and fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. And this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, what a great first case study. We're looking at a case, two case studies this morning. We're going to look at the word. And on your outline, you're going to see we're going to be looking at the corrector and the corrected in that order for both cases, for this case and the next case. And I'd like to examine these. We're also going to bring in many Proverbs. The book of Proverbs has much to say about this in our hearts and how we how we represent ourselves and these kinds of things. So point number one is this, an illustration from the life of Moses and Jethro. And one of the things that we want to see on your outline, notice this, even though Moses was one of the greatest men who ever lived, he needed correction concerning wisdom. Wisdom, all right? This is, this is a, a distinct difference in the case study that we'll look at, look at next. David will need correction concerning sin. But this is more of a correction concerning wisdom. And Jethro comes, and we think about how wonderful Moses was, how powerful a man and how great a man he was. I list several verses there on your outline for you to look at. It's incredible what God did through Moses. Exodus 33, verse 11 says, God spoke to Moses face to face. Moses led the children of Israel through the Red Sea. You remember uh, his sister Miriam and Aaron spoke against him and God struck Miriam with leprosy because he, she spoke against God's chosen man. This is Moses. Sometimes we undervalue the, the value of how powerful Moses was. Moses was an incredible man and yet he needed correction. He needed wisdom to come to him. 
All right? So we see inevitably here uh, that Moses is going to be blessed by the correction of Jethro. All right? So what do we see here? Well, let's look at the corrector for just a moment. We're going to look at Jethro. We're going to look at some of his methods, what he did, his attitude, his approach to, to come to, to uh, Moses. But how many of you have a father-in-law? How many of you would listen to your father-in-law if he came and spoke to you? You know, it's interesting. This, this is an interesting discussion here as we think about this. Maybe some of you have godly father-in-laws or ungodly father-in-laws. Jethro was a Midianite priest. Granted, he's come to know Yahweh, the one true God, the previous paragraph, we didn't read it, but he gave sacrifice to the God of Israel. He gave praise to the God of Israel, the one who led them out of Egypt. And so whether he was a pagan priest in the past, he's now come over to the right side, and he is a worshiper of Yahweh. And so Moses might have had many complaints against Jethro. Jethro, look, man, I brought the children through the Red Sea. We've done this and that. Who are you to come and tell me what I need to do. We'll get to him in just a moment. But let's look at how Jethro approached this idea of correction, the ministry of correction. All right? And hopefully if I were to ask the question this morning, how many of you have this wonderful ministry of correction? Hopefully none of you would raise your hands. Some people think they have that gift. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Proverbs chapter 27 and here's the thing we see out of love jethro wisely and graciously corrected moses proverbs 27 and i've got these verses here so we can kind of look at them quickly but look at what proverbs 27 verses 5 to 6 says better is open rebuke than hidden love all right and you gotta let these proverbs really sink in don't hide your love let it come out faithful are the wounds of a friend Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And there, I, this idea here that there is a friend who loves enough to make a, a correction to a brother, to a sister. Now notice the word friend here. And I want to highlight this for just a moment because I'd like to talk about a sphere of influence and an authority of, uh, that we have in this regard. Notice Jethro is the father-in-law of Moses. Not anybody could have approached Moses, but this is his father-in-law. And here, this idea that Proverbs gives us is that a friend who is a close associate has more of an influence to speak into your life or someone else's life, right, if they're a friend, than, than an, an acquaintance. So here I want to speak here for just a moment about a sphere of authority and a sphere of influence. And I give this to you on your outline. Kind of let this sink in for just a moment. What would be the most authoritative thing in your life? Scripture is at the top. God is at the top. And I hope that you have developed an attitude where when you read Scripture and you're hearing from God, you're praying, you're saying, God, help me to receive this. Help me to hear this. Help me to listen to this, that you have developed a heart in your own life, that you're ready and willing for God to correct you at any moment. And by the way, he does it through the word, right? We believe that very clearly. We're not expecting God to speak in any other way. You want to hear God speak out loud? Read scripture and you'll hear him speak out loud. This is God's word and we hear it very clearly. So when we're hearing God's word and you're hopefully doing this on a daily basis, you're opening yourself up for correction, 
We're going to talk about that in more detail in just a moment. But Scripture is at the most, the very top place. But then there's some other influences in your life, maybe some other authorities. Your spouse. We're going to talk this morning a little bit about your wife. Now, granted, Adam should not have listened to his wife in the garden that first time. But God did say to Adam, I've made you a helper. And one of the things that I do with my wife I understand that she is an equal heir to the gospel of Jesus Christ with me. And so I do my best to be a servant leader to her and treat her with, with great and utmost respect, love, gentleness, kindness. And I have learned to give an ear to my wife. And I ask her specifically, and I hope that you guys do this, sweetheart, I call her baby, baby, how am I doing as a husband? What are some areas that I need to make improvement? I'm willing and ready to open myself up to hear from my wife and to make some changes. That's so important in our life. So our spouse, our accountability or discipleship partner, great tool here. And I, I put that up there because I hope that maybe there's some other man in your life that you have entrusted yourself to and you have said, hey, I want to meet with you on a regular basis for accountability, for, uh, uh, to read scripture together, to pray together. And I hope that if you don't have an accountability partner or a discipleship partner, you'll find one that someone that you entrust can speak into your life and that you're willing to listen to them. So that's a very important person, accountability partner, your pastors, your elders, your church family, it's going to go down. Maybe you might move church pastors and elders up there a little bit, but I'm thinking you probably spend more time with your accountability partner than with your pastor. But your pastor and your elders, your leaders, your church family and friends also have a little place, a little part. Maybe you're in a small group. You're around those. And so you can kind of see as the arrow goes up, there's a little more influence, a little more authority, which brings out this point. You don't have the ministry of correction to everyone. You're not called to that. You're not called to correct the guy at, at the QT that you see, unless he opens you up and allows you to come into his life for just a moment and give correction to that. Of course, you're always supposed to be giving God's word to others. All right, so here, uh, Jethro, he had, a, he had influence in Moses. Moses was willing to receive the instruction that uh, Jethro was going to give. All right, on your outline, let me give you four I want to give you four lessons here from Jethro, and I think these are great lessons for us. I'm trying to apply them to my own life. So we think about correcting others. If someone's in your life and you're going to bring the ministry of the word to them, how do you do it? What are some, what are some lessons? Well, here's the first thing. Number one, a wise corrector will ask questions to clarify the situation before jumping into conclusions. Now go back to your text. Let's see what Jethro did. Notice, Moses is judging the people. Moses, Jethro shows up. He saw all that uh, Moses was doing for the people. And the first thing he does, he asks a question. What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? Now, this is a very practical thing that Jethro did. Notice he didn't rush in and start making accusations. He, he came and wanted to learn from the situation. Maybe he didn't know everything that needed to be known. And with great wisdom, to the 
greatest man who'd ever lived at that time, he comes in and says, Moses, what are you doing? What is your plan here? What's going on? All right, so with great caution, kind of with careful examination, and again, I would say this as we think about correcting others in our life, we need to bring great humility to the table. We need to bring caution, careful thought process before we just jump in and you correct your spouse or you correct your children or whatever. I'd say never do it out of anger. If you're going to correct someone, never do it out of anger. Always step back, let the anger um, you know, disperse and with great caution, great thoughtfulness, maybe start the conversation with some questions. And that's going to take some careful thought on your own part. Kindly, gently, loving approach the person with an open mind, believing the best you can until you find out the truth of the matter. All right? And so you do some investigation. Secondly, number two, I'm just giving you some principles here. Number two, well, Proverbs 25, 5, 20, verse 5. Make note of that on your outline. I didn't put that on your outline, but that's a great one. Let me just highlight that one. Look at what the proverb says here. The purpose of a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. That's a great proverb. A man of understanding will come sit down with an individual and draw out the heart issue, the root issue of the thing that you want to confront. So, not, so as not to address it superficially, but to come to the base, to the root, and find out why this person is doing what they're doing. All right? And they may have an answer for that. All right? So drawing out the, the understanding of an individual. Number two now. A wise corrector will be graciously truthful and oftentimes frank. Not beating around the bush, if you want to put it in the vernacular. Avoiding the, the directness of the discussion. All right, so notice Jethro. What does he say here? He says in verse, where is the, which verse is it? Verse 17. He, after asking a few questions, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. Now that's pretty direct, isn't it? told him right, right out you, what you're doing is not good and as we think about correcting people in our lives sometimes we can't we don't just need to beat around the bush we need to get to it hey listen what you're doing is sinful what you're doing is not wise what you're doing is not good we're going to get to the backbone of that in just a moment but notice very frank don't beat around the bush get to it tell the person by the way hopefully you've prayed about it you spent some time in prayer you've bathed it bathed the this time ministry of correction and prayer you're asking god to help you to bring the correction all right and you address it all right number three number three a wise corrector will be a supporter and not an attacker don't be a destructive counselor but a constructive counselor so you're coming to this person and you're giving them the ministry of the word and you're not going to come and beat them down, per se. Moses, Jethro doesn't come to Moses and say, you're a horrible leader and you've done all these bad things. No, he doesn't do that. He wants to, notice this, he wants to build up Moses. He wants to encourage Moses with the word. All right, we're going to get to that. That's the next point with the word. All right, so don't be a destructive counselor, but be conscientious that you're building it up. And that really has to do with your heart attitude. And this is not on your outline, but look at this, the right motive you have to ask this question, why are you confronting this person? Why are you spending time, why do you feel the necessity 
to confront this person? Well, the right motive is that you want to honor God, you love your brother, and you are doing this for the glory of God. The wrong motive is that you are coming to win an argument, win your cause, to feed your pride. And so you're, by golly, he's not going to win the argument, so I'm going to come and I'm going to win my argument and I'm going to build myself up. That's the wrong attitude to confront somebody altogether. All right? So Jethro comes, and we're going to get to this, but notice Jethro comes for the good of Moses. Moses, you're going to wear yourself out and the people are going are to uh, uh, suffer, right? He tells them that, you, verse, verse 18, you and the people will certainly wear yourself out, for the thing is too heavy for you, so it's, it's logical that you should do this. You are not able to do it alone, right? So very practical here. Jethro has Moses' best interest at heart and the people of God's best interest at heart. All right, so a wise corrector will be a supporter. He wants to see them succeed and, and not necessarily attack. And then here's the, the last one, and this is the most important part of this particular section. Number four, a wise corrector will provide scriptural support to back up his correction and lead a friend in God's way and God's will. This is going to take a lot of effort on our part. Our brother this morning spoke about where to find all of that wisdom. We find it in his word. Now notice the text of scripture that we're looking at here. Verse, again, verse 19. Look at verse 19. And look at what Jethro says to Moses. Verse 19. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice. And God be with you. So see, Jethro is very concerned about uh, Moses doing God's will and God's way. All right? You shall represent the people before God and bring their causes to God. And you shall warn them, here it is, look, at the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. When you correct someone, it's never for your own benefit. It's for the glory of God and for the benefit of the other person that they might know the statutes of God's word, that they might walk in those statutes, that they might obey those statutes, and that they might benefit from them. We're going to look at some benefits of correction here in just a moment. But this is the, the wise corrector. He always backs up his... Uh, if you will, confrontation with the word. Now you say, well, did Jethro have the word? Well, the word hadn't been written yet. It would be written, but his word is very, very uh, close to Scripture. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says two are better than one. 1 Corinthians 12 speaks about letting others use their gifts, and here he asks others, able men, godly men, to take over. Maybe this is the kind of the Acts 6 of the Old Testament where Moses is uh, implementing elders, other leaders who can come and step in, and uh, they do that, and they do it well. Of course, Titus 1 and 2 and Timothy, 1 Timothy 3 are all in place. So he gives advice, and of course, advice should always be related to Scripture, to Scripture and based in Scripture. All right, so that's the, the corrector. What about the corrected? All right, let's look at Moses 
and see what, how he responded, all right? So on the back side of your page, now the corrected. Out of humility, notice Moses received wise counsel from Jethro. And you can just put yourself there in that scenario and ask yourself, how would I have responded? And maybe you can think through in your own life when someone came and brought some kind of correction or some, um, some change that you needed to make in your life. How did you respond to them? Did you respond with humility? Did you respond with patience, kindness, gentleness toward this person who hopefully loves you and wants to share some information with you to make your life better and the life of others notice a few proverbs here and uh, these are glorious proverbs there's four of them on your outline let these seek in and i wanted to challenge you men i want you here's your homework okay for today and this week i want you to pick one of these proverbs and put it to memory all right pick one something out of this lesson one of the proverbs and commit it to memory Here's, listen to these Proverbs. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. Number two, Proverbs 12.1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. I love that one. That's the one you ought to memorize. We could never use the word stupid when we were in high school. Right, But here, notice, you're stupid. If you are, are unwilling to receive instruction, you are, it really reveals your heart, doesn't it? You're, op- you're unopened to God and, and the glorious uh, wisdom that he has. That's stupid. Be willing to receive. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. Right? So was Moses wise or a fool? Very wise. He wasn't so arrogant, so prideful to think about all the things that he had done, how God had used him. Well, you don't know what I've done and all the things that I've done in the past. No, he said, I'm going to give an ear to this. And I love that in verse 24. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law. He listened. didn't have to choose to obey what Jethro said, but you need to listen. Listen to the counsel of others, especially those who have authority, influence in your life. They love you. Listen. Be willing. I never forget, I've got some family members. They say, oh, I'm never going to change. Don't try to get me to change. I'm the way I am. I'll, ne- I'll always be this way forever. That's a horrible place to be in, brothers. Horrible place to be. We're in process of being conformed to the image of Jesus. And it takes work, and it takes effort, and we're going to be on that, if you will, that table, we're that clay on that table, and God's going to be molding us until the day we die. So never say you're not willing to listen to what others have to say. Have a willing ear to listen. Moses listened. He listened. Proverbs 15, 32. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. See, this lesson is really about us evaluating our own hearts. Ask yourself about your own heart. Am I willing to to receive instruction? But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. We're always giving ourselves to the Word of God in every aspect. We listen to sermons. We go to church on Sunday. We listen to good exposition. 
every Sunday. We're giving ourselves to that. We're giving ourselves to others in our lives that are speaking into our life the truth. All right, so let me give you a couple lessons about the corrected, all right? So this applies to all of us. Number one, the humble will avoid prideful deflections and will listen and make a change of course. And I put in parentheses there, obey the word. That's what Moses did. He listened. He listened. And he avoided prideful deflections. And I don't know about you, for some reason, if my pastor came to me, or if Ted came to me, he said something to me, some reason I'd listen to him. But when my wife gives me a correction, all of a sudden, man, these deflections start going up, right? And I don't know if that's true in your life. What is a deflection? Well, well, this, this. Well, I did it this. Well, well this, this is my answer for that or, or whatever. And you start deflecting what they are trying to teach you. That's a, that's a sure evidence of pride in your own life. And I haven't mentioned the dirty five-letter word, but pride is devastating, brothers. Let us root out pride. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It was pride that cast Satan out of heaven we must avoid prideful deflections. How would you know if pride is in your life? What would be some signs of pride in your life? I made a list for myself. Here's some things. Fault finding. You're easily, you easily find fault in others. You might just listen or you might make a note of a few of these if you think about them. A harsh spirit toward others. You judge quickly. You're easy to throw someone else under the bus. Defensiveness. You're quick to defend yourself. If that's you, you need to step back and say, Lord, I need a heart of humility. Give me a heart of humility. Desperate for attention. You always have to correct others. You're always in this mode of correcting others. You, ever, you know somebody like that? They're always, they're, they, even the minute, in, in the minutiae, you, you say something wrong, and they, they're right there to correct, right? Maybe that's you. You're always seeing yourself as a, as a corrector of others, trying to teach someone something. I don't have to know everything you know. You don't have to know everything I know. You don't have to always be teaching everybody something, all right? Sometimes it's good just to be quiet, step back, listen. Being too proud to ask for help. So many things here. Talking about yourself a lot. Do you talk about yourself a lot? That might be a sign of pride. Consistently critical. All right, so we're enough of that. All right, so the humble will avoid prideful deflections. And we're looking for pride in our own life. We, we listen. Moses listened. And he did all that Jethro had said. I just love that. He applied it. Now let me ask you this. And I don't have this on the outline, but what happens if someone comes to you and they've given you some advice that's not scriptural or biblical? What would you say? Well, here's, here's, I thought this through. I thought to myself, well, what would I do if somebody comes to me and I'm not sure about their correction, they're correcting an attitude of mine, they're correcting something I did, I'd say, listen, let me take that into account. Let me step back and pray about it. Let me ask others who are close to me in my ministry, in my home, in my life, ask them to give me input into that, and then I'll get back to you on that issue. But you never immediately say, you know, hit him right between the eyes and say, you're wrong. Let me step back. Let me receive what you have said. Let me make some evaluations. Let me take it to Scripture. Take it to God. 
take it to those in my circle of influence that know me best, my elders, my pastors, my friends, my, my spouse, and then I'll come back with you, all right? I think that's very helpful. All right, number two, we're looking at some lessons for the corrected. So don't deflect, avoid prideful deflections. Number two, and I love this, the humble will benefit themselves and others with their spiritual growth. In verses 25 and 26, we see that Moses chose able men out of all of Israel, made them heads over the, the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens. They judged the people at all times in all the hard cases they brought to Moses, but any small matters they decided for themselves. This is a great point I want to make here for just a moment. The humble benefit themselves, receive blessings, and all those under their care also receive blessings with their spiritual growth. A couple of verses on, on this. Um, I don't know, do I think I gave this to you in your outline or not. Proverbs 1, 29 to 23. Um, look at that one. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof, therefore they shall eat of the fruit of their way. All right, so here's the result of not being humble and receiving instruction. They're going to receive the fruit of their own way and have the fill of their own devices, for the simple are killed by their turning away. The complacency of fools destroys them, but whoever listens to me will dwell secure, will be at ease without dread or disaster. The next verse there, Proverbs 10, 17, whoever heeds instruction is on the path of life. All right, so... Let's get this in our mind. When we're being corrected, we're, we're benefited by it. It benefits our own spiritual growth, and it also benefits those who are under us. All right? And I give you on your outline nine ways that we benefit from correction, and you can look through those. But I want to make this statement as we kind of think about this last point here. Jethro, in just a moment, a matter of, Five minutes changed the course of all of Israel as Moses took heed to what he had to say. Not only did Moses benefit from the wisdom that he received, but all of the children of Israel were blessed by the change of course that Moses decided to take. What a great thought. Jethro just appears for a little while in the story but he has a major impact on the future course of Israel and Moses' life. God used Jethro to bring about some change. Look at some of these ways we benefit. And I don't have time this morning to talk about these. But when, when we, we listen to others, we discover our blind spots. Matthew 15, 14. Anybody remember who's speaking about there? That's the Pharisees who are blind guides. Isn't it sad about those religious leaders? They did not even see themselves the way God saw them or the way others saw them. So this is a great benefit from reproof. We all have blind spots. Did you know that? Others see us sometimes better than we see ourselves. And so we must listen. And so li by listening, we benefit from seeing our blind spots. We gain wisdom and understanding from the righteous. We awaken from our apathy and carelessness. Ephesians 5 Great, don't, don't live as unwise, but live as wise. We are encouraged to look at our circumstances from a different perspective, maybe a more righteous perspective. We see and change those faults that we have so oft, often overlooked. 
and over and over. So many wonderful benefits. Let me ask you this before we look here at the second case study. Who would benefit in your life if you just listen for a moment to the correction of others? Would your wife benefit? Would your children benefit? Would your coworkers benefit? Think about the stream that goes from yourself down, downward as God works in you, all those under you in your care receive the blessing of God's sanctifying work in your life. The children of Israel experienced it. Moses experienced it. We can experience it too. All right, that's the first case study. And uh, we could stop there, but we're going to go look at another one. Let's see how much time we have. We've got 20 minutes. We may not make it through this one as, as uh, detailed as the other one. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 12, and I'd like to look at one more case study. And you're familiar with this one. This is the confrontation of King David. And uh, God uses a man, sends a man by the name of Nathan the prophet to confront him. All right, so did I miss a point there? I sure did. That's an important point. Go back real quick, all right? The humble will not harden, harbor bitterness toward those who corrected him. That's a very important point. And if you go back to the story, it says Jethro left. It's, it appears as though Moses had greeted Jethro and let him go on his way, and he doesn't harbor bitterness toward those who correct us. You know, there's oftentimes a bitterness that rises up in our own hearts when someone corrects us. And uh, we need each other. We need each other to, to do that ministry of correction. All right, now let's move on to the second case study, the life of David and Nathan. 2 Samuel chapter 12 records the, the confrontation of Nathan. And we come to this story. Uh, we won't stand and read it, and I'm not going to read it, but most of you are familiar. I hope most of you are familiar. If you're not, you remember King David, when kings should have been out fighting, he was on the top of his roof, and what does he see? He sees Bathsheba. He calls for her. He kills her husband, Uriah, the Hittite, has him killed, murdered, brings Bathsheba in has relationships with her, and eventually she gives birth to a son. In chapter 12, it's interesting here, and I don't, I'm trying to figure this all out, but chapter 12, verse 1, it's been almost nine months, and God has not yet confronted David. The baby is born, almost. Look at chapter 11, verse 27. When the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife. She bore him a son... But the thing that David had done had displeased the Lord. This may be a, a recap. This may be a, um, you know, he's looking into the future. But in any case, at the end of chapter 12, the son has died. And um, David fasts for him and prays for him. And he ends up dying. But chapter 12 discusses for us the confrontation. And that's what I'd like to look at and try to, to learn a little bit something about this. Notice this about David. The same thing that we learned about Moses. Even though David was one of the greatest men who ever lived, and I know you want to put yourself in that category, right? He needed correction, not concerning wisdom, but concerning sin. All right, so both case studies, I don't think uh, Moses' issue was a sinful issue, just an issue of wisdom. This is an issue of sin, and David has sinned. 
He sinned against God. He sinned against Bathsheba. Sinned against Uriah. He's committed incredible sin. And isn't it interesting that he is, he is still not truly repented of it. So God brings Nathan and comes. All right. The Bible says David was a man after his own heart. I love that. Acts 13, verse 22. He was honored above uh, honored all those above him uh, out of humility. He was kind to his enemies. David was a great king, greatest king who ever lived in Israel. And yet, he needed some correction. All right, so on your outline, let's look at a couple things. We'll look at the corrector. Who's the corrector in this case? Nathan is the corrector. And then we'll look at David uh, with some principles from David of the corrected. All right, so here's the corrector. And again, it's out of love. Nathan was sent by God to confront David about his sin. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city. And then he, he gives this glorious parable. Let's read it. I'll read it with you. You can just follow along as I read it. Two men, there were two men in a certain city, one a rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but, the little, but a, one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there was a traveler to the rich man. There came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And here's the famous line that we're all familiar with. Verse 7, Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I did delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you, you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would, have, would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? Listen to the directness of Nathan to David. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife, and you've killed him with the sword of the Amorites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus the Lord says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is, who is born to you shall die. And then Nathan went to his house. Okay, let's learn a few things here further about the corrector and the corrected. All right, so out of love, Nathan was sent by God. Don't think that you're always sent by God to make correction in somebody else's life. This was a prophet. God spoke to him, sent him to you. But you ought to pray about it and find out whether this is what the Lord wants you to do 
to sin. All right, a couple of lessons under here about this. Number one, realize, realize that while God always sees our sin, sometimes believers are blind or refuse to look deeply at their own sin. That's why correction is needed. If we were to look closely at our own lives, we would need correction. If we could go to the Scripture and let the Scripture deal with us on a daily basis about our sin, we would need people to correct us. But let's be honest, sometimes we're blind to our own sinfulness. And maybe David at this point was still blind to the reality of what he had done against God and he needed to hear from Nathan's mouth, you have sinned against God. You have done these things. He needed to hear it. He needed to feel it. And so the Lord sent Nathan to David to do it. David, as you remember, tried to cover up his sin with Bathsheba. He encountered one inescapable flaw, that is that the Lord sees all of our sin. 2 Samuel 11, verse 27, we read that. What David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. God had seen it. We must remember that, brothers. God always sees our sin. Sometimes we harden our hearts toward it. This is why Romans is very clear. I'm taking our men through our, in our church through a book called The Mortification of Sin by John Owen. It's a glorious book. I challenge you to read it. Read the abridged version by Rushing. It's a wonderful little book. It will challenge you to mortify sin on a regular basis. Sin is always going to be there. The old man is always going to be there. He never dies. We must mortify him daily, daily in the battle. Why? Because we don't see our sin rightly, and oftentimes we push it aside we need someone to come and, and reveal this to us. And it's been nine months, if, if the birth happens right here in this story, it's been nine months since David has done this sin, and yet he has not made this confession, I've sinned against the Lord. Secondly, number two, we must be willing to obey the Lord and go and confront and encourage him. We're looking at the corrector here. We're looking at Nathan. We must be willing to go and confront and encourage and exhort others who are in sin. This is not a very fun thing, and I hope and pray that you hope, hope you don't say, well, Pastor Tim, I have been given the ministry of correction, and it's my job to go do this. It's not a fun thing to do. It's not a fun thing to do. We must guard ourselves as we go, but we're commanded to go. And this is something that we often miss, but notice the verses that I give to you in the little box here. Scripture that command us to confront, and I'm going to give you a couple on the screen here. Look at this one. This is a glorious one. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him to a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's a glorious verse there. If your brother is caught in a transgression... That word caught, it's, it's, he's, he's, he's entangled in it. Uh, he doesn't even see it. He's blind to it. He's, he's caught in it. But you see it. And in love, you go to him. And in love, you speak to him. In love, you're saving his soul, bringing him back. The last one on that, uh, that box there is the, the one on James. Or in James, well, no, it's number four. My brothers, if any one of you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death, will cover a multitude of sins. 
this is, the, this is the whole point of the ministry of correction, that we love our brother. We want to help them persevere in their faith, persevere in holiness, persevere in love for God and love for others, right? That's what we're about. And this brother's caught. He's caught. We who are spiritual, we who are, have taken the splinter out of our own eye, first go to our brother and help him take the log out of his own eye, right? We look at our own self. The other verse is Matthew chapter 18. You're quite familiar with this one if you've been around church a little bit. If your brother sins against you, this is the passage on church discipline. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him your fault. Before everybody else, go tell everybody else his fault. No, between you and him. This is why this accountability partner, discipleship partner, so vitally important that we have someone in our lives that can speak into us talk and pray. If you see your brother in sin, go to him in private. Tell him his sin. If he listens to you, and that's what you're praying for, Lord, help my brother to listen. Help him to receive. You've won your brother. You've gained your brother. But if he doesn't listen, take two or three others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. What are those two or three witnesses? Two or three witnesses to the sin. To the sin issue. They see it as well. Go to him together in prayer, in gentleness, in kindness, and speak to him. If he listens to you, great. If he doesn't listen, if he refuses, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen to even to the church, let, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Why? Because the church is the body of Christ. And we're all here together, moving toward Mount Zion, moving toward heaven together. And we refuse to let anyone get left behind. And so we do this ministry of correction, all right? We see it here in the life of Nathan. Number three, we use wisdom and graciousness and directness to confront, our, confront sin. Now, I love this about Nathan. Who gets to go into the king's present, King David of all people, and correct King David, the greatest king, right? Well, I'd be scared to... Nathan wasn't scared. He'd already had a platform. He'd already had a conversation, many conversations with David. He had a relationship with David unlike anybody else. But notice what he does. He doesn't come directly at first. He uses a parable to soften the blow so that David will accuse himself. And that's exactly what he does. You see the wisdom here. David condemns the man in the parable and Nathan graciously says, no, 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 David. We're talking about you. And in some great way, God and the Holy Spirit used that to bring this ministry of correction to King David to help him. So use wisdom. Use graciousness. Use directness. And again, we don't have time. We're running out of time here. But notice Nathan speaks very directly to David. Here's what you've done. You've done this. You murdered Uriah. You took a wife, a woman that wasn't your wife. You did all of this. He doesn't beat around the bush. He tells us specifically. And that's, again, that's why it's so important to know the word. Because, brothers, we come to each other with the word, and we use the word as the sword. Not our own ideas, not our own opinions. The word is the ultimate, ultimate standard for us. Look at the attitude that we must take as we come. I thought this was great when you think about the scripture we're to come with spirituality and gentleness. 
Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, I mentioned that one already, with patience, kindness, gentleness, and I'll let you look up some of these verses with love. I think of the passage where it says, speak the truth, but do it in love. So here's this attitude. This is how we're to come as we approach these people. All right, I'll let you look through some of those. All right, so that's Nathan, and now let's look briefly at David, the corrected all right, and we'll be done. The case study will be done. The corrected, what about David? How did he respond? Well, out of humility, David had a heart to receive the rebuke from Nathan, and he truly repented. Okay? Truly repented. He heard the word from the Lord, and he made some changes. Now, we don't have time to go read Psalm 51, but if you're familiar with the Scripture... Psalm 51 is David's great psalm of repentance uh, where he declares to God, to you and you alone have I sinned, restore unto me the joy of my salvation, that great prayer that David prays. And I'll let you go read through that. You can read, read about it. But here's this humility. David received the rebuke from Nathan. He knew it was true. He knew it was true, and he repented. And I have five lessons. I'll just go through these quickly here, and then we'll close, and I'll let you ask some questions if you have any. Here they are. Number one, the humble heart realizes that others may see our sin when we don't. Okay, you have a humble heart to receive. Number two, the humble heart realizes that their sin is against God. David says that, against you and against God alone have I sinned. The Lord, uh, I have sinned against the Lord. That's in verse 13. Three, the humble heart accepts the consequences of sin. It's interesting in this particular passage David understands that God's going to bring judgment. But we didn't read it, but you'll read through it, the rest of the story. He fasts. He fasts and prays and asks God if he would be merciful. That's the fourth thing. The humble heart believes in God's mercy and grace. Over in verse 22, he speaks to those who are watching him. While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me and the child may live so even in his sinfulness, he realized that God might be gracious to him. Five, number five, the humble rejoices in God's complete forgiveness. Complete forgiveness. I'm going to read the Psalm 32 passage to you. Great passage, Psalm 32. David says this, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I, wasted, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day, all day, for night and day your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer, but oh, the glorious forgiveness of God. And then number six, the humble heart commits himself to real change. Real change. David wanted to change. And that's where we must be, brothers, when people come and confront us. We must have a humble heart, ready to receive, ready to repent, ready to make change, ready to allow the Holy Spirit to change us and conform us into the image of Jesus. And that's where we started. The whole purpose of this is that God would shape us, mold us, transform us into little Christs that we might look like, that we might look like Jesus in this world. Well, the ministry of giving and receiving correction all right i hope it blessed you this morning 
much more could be said, but we looked at two case studies, Moses and Jethro, Nathan and David, and I hope that you learned some lessons this morning. This is kind of a breakout session. We've got one or two minutes, but if any of you have a question that you might want clarified, something else stated, or a discussion that I might add to.